Welcome back. It's episode 14 of The Build, the Thomas Placanitz episode, the Nick Suzuki episode, the Radic Bonk episode, all of those players. I hope you're doing well. Uh, happy Victoria Day to all my Canadian friends, Canadian listeners, all you guys. I hope you're enjoying your long weekend um, or have enjoyed it by the time you're listening to this. Um, I hope you're all enjoying the start of spring. It was 90 degrees here in, in Connecticut this weekend, which for the middle of May is what I like to call uh, too hot. That's too hot. Um, the earth is on fire. I wouldn't worry about it, though, at all. Um, I think, you know, spring usually means that we're watching playoff hockey. And while I've been watching it, a lot of it's been just kind of average. There hasn't really been much this playoff that like there's been like no instant classics so far. Um, maybe that first game of the Battle of Alberta, which is underway, um, which that series has been everything that's, that it was billed to be right. Connor McDavid's been fantastic. Um, the goaltending, even Jacob Markstrom, who's typically a very, very good NHL goalie has faltered. And Mike Smith, you know, was bad in the first game, bad in the first half of the second game, and then has been unbeatable since then for some reason. Um, the Evander Kane angle on it all is very irritating. Um, you know, it's sort of, it's the thing with the Oilers that like folks were kind of hoping they wouldn't, they wouldn't sign him just because it kind of sullies what could have been a really, really cool story watching Connor McDavid go on that far. But now they're, they're sort of, uh, inseparable from each other, right? Like the, because Kane is there and because he is, participating at a high level for them like he's not just a passenger he had a he had a natural hat trick in game three their success is inseparable from Evander Kane's success which kind of stinks I think the funniest part of it though was when someone someone for NHL.com wrote like a redemption arc for Kane like it was a like it was already done like like he had already been redeemed in the eyes of hockey fans before this series had started and Everybody bullied that article out of existence because bullying works, does. I just, I don't know. It's a lot of these hockey players are not good people, as I will get into shortly. But like the Evander Kane thing is so uh, on the front of everyone's mind when it comes to the way that the Oilers have gone about this season. They've kind of said, you know, I shouldn't say that they, they've kind of just thrown away the idea that they're going to build a team that is likable. And they just said, eh, we'll build a team that scores goals and wins. Certainly is one way of going about it. Uh, the two series in the East right now are just okay. Rangers and Hurricanes had some fire in game three after the, uh, the Rangers won their first game of the series after going down two games to none. Um, there was some stuff at the end of the game with Gerard Gallant telling Tony D'Angelo to shut up, which is pretty cool. Um, but I can't find myself to be, like, super excited about that series. There's just something about it where it just seems like it's not real. Like, it's not a... It's... I don't know. It, it's, it has not drawn my attention in the way that a lot of the series in the first round did. Um, the only series in the second round that's really drawn my attention um, just on the value of the hockey being played would have been the Battle of Alberta, and that one's lived up to it, but everything else has just kind of been a... 
I thought the I thought the Panthers were going to put up a better fight. They're down three nothing in that series, so it looks like the Lightning are going to mess around and win their third straight cup, unless someone can stop them. But to this point, I mean, the Leafs put up a really big fight, a good fight against that Lightning team, and it, nothing stops them. They're 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 going to limp into the third round, Tampa Bay. But I mean, I wouldn't want to play them. Um, but of course, the one series I haven't mentioned so far is is the Blues Av series, and it's because it kind of sucks to talk about at this point um, after everything that happened with uh, Nazem Kadri and Jordan Binnington. So just you know, to recap what happened, Nazem Kadri's going to the net for a loose puck. He's not going for a puck that the goalie has. The puck is outside the crease. He goes to the net hard. As he's getting there and he reaches for the puck, Callie Rosen bumps him off the puck, and it sort of like pops Kadri off of his skates. Um, and when he comes back down on his skates, he's trying to stop. It's also important to note that when Kadri was going for the puck, his body was angled away from the goalie. And I'm not saying Kadri, or I'm not saying Callie Rosen hit Kadri into his goalie. I don't think he did. It was just contact in front of the net that knocked Kadri off balance, off stride. Kadri lands, he tries his best to stop, but he's just, there's not enough racetrack. He and Rosen both go into uh, Jordan Bennington. It's unfortunate, but I don't, I don't see anything wrong there. I don't see a penalty. That contact with Rosen happened so close to the front of the net that there wasn't really anything anyone would have or should have done differently in that situation. Um, after the game, Kadri's being interviewed remotely by TNT, and someone throws a water bottle at him. Like, Kadri stops the interview and mentions that someone threw a water bottle at him. Um, I think it was Bissonette on the broadcast asked if it was um, if it was Bennington who did that. Kadri said, I couldn't tell for sure. I'll have him answer that. Which, you know, that makes it seem like Kadri knew immediately that it was Bennington that threw it. Uh, Peter Baugh, an Avs reporter, said that Kadri believed it was Bennington, um, and others have corroborated that belief. Um, the Blues doubled down after the game, saying Kadri went into Bennington intentionally. And then it gets it, it all goes really poorly after that, with Kadri receiving threats after the game. Now the, the authorities are involved. Um, first of all, Bennington's out for the rest of the series with a lower body injury. It stinks because it was an accident. But also it stinks because I think throwing something at a player while he's in the middle of an off-ice interview should have resulted in suspension. Um, I don't I don't think that that's all that controversial. He's on a national television broadcast and you throw a water bottle at him. Like, we talk, like, everyone talks about the, the reputation that Kadri has in this league. I think right now we have to start talking a whole lot more about the reputation that Jordan Bennington has of being just a petulant child. I understand he's injured. It stinks. I hate that. You don't want to see a guy get hurt. I never do. But like, like Chris Kreider went into Carey Price with contact that occurred like at the top of the slot. Like, in a way that I think Kreider could have done more to avoid that contact. It's neither here nor there. Price didn't 
throw a water bottle at him while he was in an interview. Yeah, a few seasons later, Kreider was coming around the back of the net and and Price laid the body on him. That's hockey. Like if he like he's exacting a bit of revenge in a hockey play. It's fine by me. I have no issues there. I don't even think the Rangers did, right? Like, how could you? That's a that's it's just hockey. The NHL is investigating it. I would imagine he's going to get a pretty small fine. Um, but it it, it, all, it all comes back to this conversation that we seem to annually have about Nazem Kadri. He deserves criticism for his play when he does boneheaded stuff, just as everybody else in this league does. However, I think the problem is that the criticism he faces always seems to outweigh the actions that he personally does. And the criticism he rele- he receives is not reciprocated um, when folks, when other players in this league do things that that they ought not to do. You know, like there are there is a class of player in this league, like the Cadres, like the Wilsons, where they're always under a microscope when it comes to that sort of thing. But it's always funny how like Wilson a lot of times escapes punishment and escapes a lot of criticism but Kadri can't why is that you know that why is it that there's only two types of players in the NHL who receive threats on their lives it's leaf players after they lose a game seven which is also unacceptable and it's non-white players PK Subban scored an overtime winner in Boston and he got pictures of nooses sent to him Joel Ward scored an overtime winner in Boston and had racial slurs thrown at him. Like, this is a hockey problem, guys. Like, this is a real a real issue. Um, and I think this series has a chance to become really unnecessarily violent and personal coming out of this. I love nastiness in a series when it has to do with things that are done on the ice. When it has to do with things that players can change. I think people I th- I think if if Naz didn't look the way he looked, he'd be looked at a whole lot differently. That's where I'll leave that. We'll talk about the Canadians now. But I needed to get that off my chest. All right. Let's talk about the Canadians. Uh Laval is marching on in the playoffs. First, quick backtrack to talk about the actual Canadians, it is really quiet with the Montreal Canadiens right now. Like, I'm expecting some, like, wild news to drop out of nowhere in the near future just because of how eerily quiet it is right now. I know that, you know, yes, they're they're not in the playoffs. A lot of times we wait for the playoffs to, to wrap up. But I think there's still an assistant GM spot open. I think there's... there's I I wonder if there's a coaching ad to be made, like an assistant behind the bench. Um, you know, so I, I, I feel like I'm I'm cautiously waiting for another shoe to drop, but we'll see how that goes. But anyway, Laval is marching on in the playoffs. Uh, I haven't seen too much of their playoff games. I get a lot of my content on them from reading post games after the fact or whatever, because I thought my AHL TV subscription ca- carried the playoffs and it doesn't. And I wasn't going to buy... The, the it's like $30 for the entire playoffs if Laval is just going to get bounced early on. So they're up one nothing in their second series. Game two is tonight. Um, they're playing Rochester. They beat 
Uh, Syracuse in a five-game series. They won game five in overtime. It's a really cool story. Um, so I finally bought that package. I will be watching them tonight. Um, game two is being recorded, being played just as I finish recording this. Um, you know, if they lose, it's not my fault. I will continue to watch, so don't blame me. Um, but it's Laval is two wins away from a semifinal appearance. Um, you know, that that's not something that we've seen consistently with the AHL teams um, for the Montreal Canadiens. They just don't particularly do well. So it got me thinking about how transferable AHL success is to NHL success. Like, in other words, like, do NH, do AHL cup winners or cup finalists or anything like that ever predict future NHL winners? Um, so I wanted to look back at the last few years of Calder Cup winners, and I was immediately reminded that there were no Calder Cup playoffs for the last two seasons because of the pandemic. Um, so I went back for three years. The, the, the most recent Calder Cup winner was in 2018 or 2019, uh, the 18-19 season. The Charlotte Checkers, who were then the Carolina uh, affiliate, defeated the Chicago Wolves, who were the Vegas affiliate, 4-1. to one. Your leading scorers for the Checkers were Andrew uh, po- Poturalski, Poturalski, 23 points, uh, Morgan Geeky, 18 points, and Thomas Yurko, 18 points. Geeky was a recent first-rounder at the time, but he was claimed by Seattle in expansion, so there's not a whole lot there that jumps off the page. I think Yurko is a bit of an AHL guy. I would imagine Poturalski was too. So, you know, I mean, Vegas, yes, their team was in the final, but, you know, they 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 were already great at the a, at the NHL level. So it's hard to say that the AHL team led to that success. The one thing you could look at is that Carolina is a very good team now. And, you know, while their leading scorers aren't really factoring into the way that that team was was made, there were, there were likely other players on that team. I didn't go through every roster of all of these teams. But it's organizational success. Going back another year, 2017-18, the Toronto Marlies beat the Texas Stars. I hope I don't have to tell you who those are the affiliates for. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, Andres Janssen was the MVP for the Marlies. He had a bit of an NHL run with the, the Leafs, but I don't, I don't even know where he is now. It's not like he you know, is blowing it out of the water for an NHL team. But again, looking through that top scorers list, no one was jumping off the page as far as like a prospect in waiting. And there weren't, if I remember correctly, there weren't a ton of guys on that Marley's team who, you know, were guys that uh, were looked at as pro- like as as main pieces of the Leafs moving forward. Because if you look at the Maple Leafs, the way they're constructed now, the only guy who spent significant some time in the in the minors with the the Toronto Marlies was William Nylander. So. It's mostly a lot of AHL career guys, which is not to diminish what those guys do. The AHL is the second best hockey league on the planet. Um, the second best men's hockey league on the planet, sorry. Um, you know, it, it that matters. You know, having a, a career in the AHL is a really, really big deal. And it's a good way to, you know, go about your your your, your hockey career. Uh, and the last year I looked at was 16-17. The Grand Rapids Griffins, uh, the, the Detroit Red Wings, um, affiliate defeated the Syracuse Crunch, Tampa's affiliate four to two. Now we see some NHL guys in here and some pretty good ones at that. Yanni Gord was second in playoff scoring um, with with Syracuse. He's had a very good NHL career early on. Was probably the best player that Seattle claimed in that expansion draft. He had twenty seven points in twenty two games in that run. 
Thomas Nosik, another guy who's, you know, he's an NHLer. Like, he's he's not, there's not a ton of flash there, but he's an NHLer. 22 points in 19 games on that run. Tyler, Tyler Bertuzzi had 19 points in 19 games. He's one of Detroit's most, you know, effective forwards at the moment. And Danton Heinen, who's another guy, I think he was with Providence at the time. He had 18 points in 17 games in those playoffs. He's with Pittsburgh now. Um, another, you know, another solid NHL player. Um, but again, there's not really a ton of guys here that really, they don't peg me as, um, you know, stars, you know, like there's not much there. So, you know, after seeing that, that it doesn't really transfer to NHL success, you question, does winning the Calder cup matter to the NHL team at all? And I, I think it would be impossible for me to say no. Um, Sure, your younger players might not be dominating factors in these series, but I think it matters to them to play meaningful hockey. Playing for a trophy has to mean something. Um, you know, learning how hard it is to win a pro championship before you make it to the NHL, that has to carry value because we talk about, we talk all the time about how, you know, the Canadians needed guys who knew how to win, right? Like, Guys who every team needs a guy who has won it before and and they're supposed to help lead the way with the younger guys or just the guys who who don't know what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. That's why they went and got Corey Perry. Some people made that argument for Shea Weber, which I always thought was funny because he never won a Stanley Cup. He never even made it particularly that far um, with those Nashville teams. Um, but, you know, that's why you would go get them. So having those guys come up through the AHL system, winning a Calder Cup in the AHL, you kind of have that built in. Yes, the Calder Cup is not the NHL, or is not the Stanley Cup. I completely understand that. But I think playing for a trophy means something. But to circle back on what I said, I don't think, I don't think I'm alone in saying that it's not indicative of future success at the NHL level. You just look up and down that list. There's not a ton of, you know, uh, a ton of teams who have won at this level because they won at, or not because they won at the AHL level, but you saw those AHL players win. And then those AHL players graduated, went to the NHL and won there. Um, and when it comes to Laval, there aren't really a ton of like capital P prospects playing. It's a lot of career AHL guys. Again, that matters a lot to them and it should matter a lot to hockey fans in general because again it's the second best men's league on the planet um but like as far as prospects playing the canadians have um they just added joshua Waugh coming in on a professional or i don't know if it's a professional or an amateur tryout um but he's on a tryout for the rest of the run because as we know he already signed his um entry level to start next season so maybe he gets into a game here or there. If not, it's just nice to have him around for that experience. Um, not unlike what they did with Alexander Romanov in the bubble. Um, Norlander is getting some playing time. At least he was. In game one against Rochester, he took a nasty blindside hit to the head. He won't play game two. It was announced a little while ago. Um, so, you know, hoping for the best there. It was really looking like he was turning a corner and he was going to get to play a lot of meaningful minutes for that team and hopefully win... Uh, a cup, but so it goes. Um, Raphael Harvey Pinard looks like an NHL player in the making. Um, I think they call him Lavalager because he plays a lot like Brendan Gallagher, but in Laval. 
I'm excited for him. I think he might. He's one of two prospects that that is playing right now for Laval that I think has a legitimate shot to play with Montreal next year. Um, Caden Primo is rebuilding his confidence with some really, really good hockey in Laval. Every time I see something about him on Twitter, it's him making a ridiculous save. So hopefully we see more of that moving forward. And it's just nice to see him rebuilding that confidence, getting that back, getting meaningful playing time on a team that is not an absolute circus. Um, and then finally, Jesse Ullinen is getting some good reps with Laval. He's that second player who I think has a legitimate chance to make the Canadians next year and and stick. Um, again, I think a deep run goes a long way in developing these guys, not only to be good NHLers, but guys who knows who know what it takes to win. Um, so we'll see. I hope you know. I hope the hockey's good. It looks like that building is is filled just about every time Laval comes in to play a playoff game. Um, the second round series, they're saying it's the third round. I guess they were playing, so I guess this is their third round series, even though it's only the second series they've played. It's a best of five. They're already up one nothing against Rochester. They have a chance to go up 2 nothing. Um, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, you will already know what happens in that game, so don't tell me. Um, all right. I opened the last... I opened uh, some of the topics up to questions, and I got two questions that I want to talk about today. Um, the first one is a Twitter question from at habit forming. Um, they ask, build out the roster for next year. No trades or UFA. No one can speculate that, but count the NHL draft. If you think any will stick, I think this is a fun exercise, not because I think the Canadians are going to do nothing far from it. Um, but I think it's a good place to, to look back and compare against what, you know, Hughes and Gorton do. Like, what does this roster that I build look like compared to, what they actually have at the start of next season. Game one, they're lining up most likely in Toronto because that's where they always start the season. What do they look like at that face-off dot? What do they look like, you know, coming through training camp? So here's what I came up with. Uh, I've got a first line of uh, Suzuki, Caulfield, and Dwayne. Dwayne on the left. Um, I think they need a left-handed shot on that line. We've seen a, a bunch where they... they They've been pigeonholing players in there, like Pitlick's been playing up there, um, you know, just because he's left-handed. I really think that's the reason he was up there. Um, I think it gives them a good chance to rebuild um, Jonathan Duane a little bit. Um, and also, like I said, gives them that left-handed shot on the left side. Second line, Hoffman, Dvorak, Anderson. Um, this one just seems pretty self-explanatory. It's pretty much the best of the rest for the Canadians as far as you know what we've seen it's there you know that's a that's a second line in the NHL um with the with the exception of Dvorak I feel like he's better off better suited as a third line forward and again I think on that left side with Hoffman you're trying to just kind of recoup value so that you can move him at some point and a reminder on Jonathan Dwayne for the for the on that first line he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of next season so if the Canadians get his value to a place at the end of the season or by the trade deadline where teams look at it and they go, if you retain half and he's, you know, he's got, he's on a 65 point pace, you're in really, really good shape. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, third line, I have Pitlick uh, on the left, Gallagher on the right and Shane Wright down the middle. Uh, so that kind of spoils the last question that I'm going to get to, but so it goes. I do think they'll pick Shane Wright. And I also think that there's probably some, some, you know, 
there's an ability for him to move up to the second line pretty quickly if he's, you know, if he comes in and he looks like he can handle second line responsibilities. They haven't even drafted the kid yet. I have a hard time putting him in the top six. Putting him on the third line is even a stretch because, again, they have not picked him yet. But I, I feel confident that they're going to take Shane Wright in the first, with the first overall pick. So Pitlick, Wright, Gallagher is my third line. Fourth line is Byron Evans, Armia. Um, again, I feel like Armia is on the way out this summer. But you said no trades. I am abiding by that rule. I think it's a solid fourth line. And that leaves the extras as uh, Ulinen, Harvey Pinard, and Ryan Paling. Um, I think all three of those guys end up in the lineup just because I don't think that the the way that the roster is constructed right now will keep all three of them out for, for the entirety of the season. Um, again, injuries might force some guys up, but um, those guys are, are knocking on the door as far as NHL-ready prospects. Uh, I think that's what I, all I have for forwards. Let's move to the defense. I've got Edmondson and Petrie on the first pairing. Uh, Romanoff, Barron on the second pairing, and Harris Savard on the third pairing. Uh, I again, this is obviously going to change um, with Petrie's departure seeming seemingly imminent. Um, but this is what I think they're starting with heading into the summer. Norlander and Gooley are knocking on the door. I have them as extras, but they. They're probably best suited to get sent to Laval and work there for a little bit. There's no reason to rush them into the NHL. Um, my biggest thing is you cannot have Romanoff and Savard next to each other next year. At least not to start. We've seen it. It doesn't work. Let's try something else. Um, and I don't even know that Harris and Barron are necessarily locks to play in Montreal full-time next season. I think there's a good chance that they go to Laval to get, to get, um, to get some seasoning. But if... You know, they trade Petrie. Hughes has said that he wants to bring in a veteran guy to replace those minutes. Maybe it's more than one. And maybe we're looking at a more veteran core on defense next season. And then, you know, all the young guys are in Laval just absolutely dominating the American Hockey League. That would That's also a very, very good scenario for this team. But this defense is still very much a work in progress. That's why I, this is very much just a, you know, leaving... Uh, a measuring stick to compare to once the season or once the season actually starts. And then in net, um, this is tough. I have Allen and Montembeau as the two goaltenders with Price and Primo as the extras. The reason I consider Price as an extra is I can't assume that he's a starting goalie in the NHL right now when we don't know that his health is, is where it should be. Um, we still have no real idea that um, he's going to play and be a regular um a regular NHL goalie. Um, if he plays, great. If not, you need another plan. Allen and Montembeau probably cannot be that plan, but again, that's what we're measuring against. Um, Allen, I think, needs another guy who can suit up for 35, 40 games behind him in case of injury and also to help prevent injury by not making him play way too much hockey. So I'm interested to see what they do here. Um, Primo is the one I haven't discussed yet. I kind of want to see Primo in Laval for as long as possible. Um, I want him to dominate at that level without being brought into another circus. And if you're Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon, I think one of your priorities is to get, you know, enough goaltending to insulate Caden Primo from the NHL. Um, there should be, you know, if Allen's your starter and Montembeau is your backup, 
there should there probably should be another goalie that is keeping Caden Primo away from Montreal. Even if it's an AHL backup that you're calling up instead of Primo. That's just my belief because I really think that they're not doing him any 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 favors by having him start in Laval and then whenever there's an injury in Montreal, he's going up to Montreal to sit on the bench for a few weeks and then getting sent back down to Laval. He needs to play. Um, so that's that's kind of the model I'm going with headed into the offseason, um, the meat of it anyway. If I missed anybody, let me know. I, I mean, I kind of just looked through Cap Friendly and, and built a roster that way. Um, again, I want to see how this compares to opening night next season, so I'll be making a mental note of this to come back to it. Um, we'll, we'll do a comparison right before the season starts. All right, last topic today. We're at about a half hour. Nice. We're cruising. I ain't keeping you guys too long. Um, this actually comes from my cousin Dolores at DJD on Twitter. Uh, who do you think the Habs should select first overall? Has your decision changed based on recent performance? Again, I should have put this question first, but I wanted to talk about an article for this question, so I left it for last. The short answer is, um, Wright is my guy. He's been my guy since, you know, before the Canadians won that pick, the day they won the pick, and now it's always he's always been that guy. Um, while there are some scouts who are honest in saying that there's not, they don't think there's a consensus pick and that's their belief. I don't, you know, we, we need to stop dumping on guys for having a differing opinion. That's not an issue. Um, I, I think looking at why that issue or why that conversation is happening is a more interesting argument to me. I said it last week, there are scouts who aren't sure there's a consensus. And I think that that has to do more with right lacking, truly eye popping, you know, stats and just the way he plays the game isn't all that eye popping. I think it has more to do with that than it did than it does with guys trying to catch him from the pack, the Slavkovskis, the Coolies, those guys. So it puts us in a weird spot where we can continue to take points away from the player who isn't playing right now. Shane Wright's not playing. He won't play until after the draft. I think he's going to go to the World Juniors, unless the Canadians say, no, you're not going to the World Juniors, but I doubt they'd do that, or any team, really. I, I, I would imagine they're going to let him go play in that tournament for the last time. Um, you know, all things being equal, which they're not, right? Like, it, it's just, we're let's assume that all things are equal for the sake of the argument, and you believe it's a toss-up between Rice and... Rice between Wright and Slavkovsky. If you truly believe that, you take the center. So I'm of the belief that if you think Wright and Slavkovsky are the same kind of, of prospect or the same value of prospect, you take the center over the winger. Now, if you think it's a, a toss up between Wright and Logan Cooley, another center, that's where it gets tricky. You kind of have to just choose the better of two centers, which I think to this point you have to give to Wright just because he's been that consensus guy for a long time. He's less of a consensus now as guys are getting closer and closer to the draft, but he's been at the top of the board the entire way. Uh, and again, that Wright, Wright versus Cooley, that's not really a conversation a lot of people are having. Um, I, From what I've read, Arizona is very interested in Logan Cooley, so it seems like they think he's going to be available. 
and they're probably going to take him second overall if he's still available. Meaning Slavkovsky probably slides to third. I, I, in, in my heart of hearts, I think that the draft one, two, three is going to go right. Cooley Slavkovsky, and then you're probably going to have the two defensemen. Um, I think it's Nemec and Yurichek. I could be wrong, but I think you're great. You're getting those two next because I don't think teams are going to wait too long to take defensemen. So that's where that's where my head's at. I think a lot of people are making this the right versus Slefkovsky draft. So if you attack it from that standpoint, I think you end up taking right. But if you're, you know, I haven't seen a ton of right play. I lean on people who have watched him and who have an eye for this sort of thing. Arvin Basser at The Athletic is not a scout, right? Like, I'm not a scout. He's not a scout. But Arvin Basser watches a ton of hockey, and he is an expert communicator, uh, I, I really enjoy all of his work at The Athletic. He wrote a really, really nice piece on his view of Shane Wright after watching every shift from his playoffs and from a few regular season games right before the playoffs. On this podcast, I have a tendency to just reread articles from The Athletic or behind paywalls. I'm not going to do that for this one. There's a lot of video and there's far more value from reading the article itself. I've linked it in the description. You can go check it out there if you have an Athletic subscription. Um, the key takeaway, though, is, is that Wright always... Wright already does a lot of things that successful NHL players and successful NHL centers do. There are parts there for the Canadians to build on, but the player already does a lot of things that at an NHL level. Um, and what I found really interesting about that article was that um, Arpen Basu looks at him not only as a player, but as a prospective Montreal Canadian and how each of Wright's skills will translate into being a Montreal Canadian, fitting in on this roster. Um, the, the way St. Louis coaches and thinks has a big influence on the way we're going to perceive this player. And I think Arpen nails that in this article. So yes, the long answer is yes, Wright is still my guy until proven otherwise. And that will need to come from other players stepping up, not from Wright just not playing and falling in the rankings. Um, Slavkovsky's playing in the World Championships, and outside of a few people who have been banging that drum for a while, which I respect, if he was your guy, I totally get it. The people I read and trust don't seem convinced that he's done enough to overthrow Wright at the top. Still a very good player. Logan Cooley's still a very good player. They still have not closed the gap enough to make this a coin flip draft. So that's that's where... Ooh, sorry. Wow, I hit the mic. What's that, the first time in 14 episodes? That's cool. Um, so that's where I'm, my head's at on the draft. Still lots of good content to come on this, I'd imagine. I'm, I'm trying to uh, be a bit of a sponge and read as much as I can um, about this draft because I don't watch prospects regularly. Um, and... You know, there are people out there who you can read about. Um, there, are, I should say there are people out there who have written things that you can read about the top prospects in this draft. Um, and some of like the late round guys who they're really excited about. I'm going to start diving into draft guides at some point in the near future. So, all right. I think that's enough for me this week. Um, these topics are coming becoming harder and harder to come by. There's not really much going on for the Canadians as far as like big eye eye catching news. So hopefully they give us something to talk about soon. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at maybe it's Ian uh, at Rabbit Haps for the blog. Check the description for links 
to things that I mentioned during the show, like that Arp and Basu article. It's really, really good. I'd recommend it. All right, the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing now is Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page to listen to the rest of his stuff, including a brand new six-track album called Expedition. All right, guys, enjoy your week. We'll talk soon. Bye. <laughs>